Rain, rain, go away. Or maybe, better not. This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks. Growth-oriented, usually partial-related Torah podcasts. And arguably, our podcast this week is not directly tied to the upcoming Parsha of Bamidbar. But, I think particularly pertinent, relevant, and important as for anybody who's currently listening in Tachlis Talks land of the Midwest region, you are probably experiencing incredible rain. Um, actually, I'm hearing good parts of the country have that. I'm not sure how that's relevant uh, to some of our listeners in other uh, parts of the world. But it's been so intense recently that one individual I was working with recently uh, having a discussion related to some um, helping him with some kosher issues in his home commented to me, Rabbi Price, I feel like I'm in Noah's Ark. Very limited capacity to leave my home, and it's always raining. And I get it. Most of us are still really confined to our homes. Thankfully, things are easing up. But, anybody listening, later on than May 2020, this is being recorded during uh, the terrible uh, corona situation where it's been a relative lockdown. And even though right now... Some businesses are back to normal, but most people are spending most of their time in very limited quarters and not spending time in gyms and restaurants and shopping malls, very limited excursions. So we're really kind of trapped in our own arcs, hearing the rain outside, and it's getting to people. And it's dark and it's gray and it's wet, and I can't take that walk I would want to take, and I can't even go out of my house to sit on my deck it's just so uncomfortable out there and so wet. How do we balance this? How do we work with the fact that ultimately, from the Talmudic perspective, rain is generally to be seen as a bracha, as a blessing? And practically, if you think about it, for most people in most contexts, rain will ultimately provide more benefit than even those of us who have the frustration, like I do right now, of getting some water out of the basement after having spent quite a bit of money on waterproofing. But despite those frustrations, we'll have more produce. We'll have what to eat this summer. Thank God. So deep down, we realize that most of the rain is ultimately beneficial, but it's so frustrating the moment. And in general, the concept of our frustration at what ultimately is a blessing goes back to the core of humanity, because we find that God describes the way some of the commentaries understand it, the greatest tragedy of the initial failing of man, that initial eating of the fruit and the dialogue that ensues and the change of the status of mankind forever, many understand that what's really happening over there is God challenging Adam, Adam, don't you realize I gave you a gift called Eve? Which Adam turned into... God, it's her fault. She led me astray. Basically, Adam telling God, I don't see it as a gift. I see it as trouble. That is called kafui tova. That is called a rejection of the good. That rejection of the good is a flaw that we are still working on trying to correct. Mankind has it as our responsibility to do the opposite, to find the good, to acknowledge the good, to thank for that good. And here God is giving us good, again, in most of the circumstances, 
It's ultimately our best interest. And we find it frustrating. And we teach your kids to sing a song, the Rain, Rain, Go Away song, which, by the way, one of the great sages of the last generation, Rabbi Victor Miller, said he couldn't stand that song. How are you teaching your kids to be challenging and frustrated at something that God is providing, which is ultimately for the good? So I wanted to share a perspective great book called uh, The Jewish Theory of Everything by Max Entebbe. The Jewish Theory of Everything is basically what he calls a behind-the-scenes look at the world. It's a look at the complexity of the world and the degree to which this world clearly has a designer. And although I'm not here in the, our discussion today to deal with this issue of like proofs of God's involvement in the world as opposed to a random world, ultimately this ties to that theme as well, but When he deals with the issue of rain, he shares something fascinating. He describes a storm in New York City. He's writing it as being 10 years back, and the book was published... I'm trying to look real fast, not seeing a date, but um, I'm sure there's a date right here somewhere where it was published, but it was probably published about 20 years ago. Ah, It was published actually in 2002. Pretty close. So, talking about some major storm that was in the early 1990s, where the um, calculation was that about 30 inches of snow and freezing rain fell in 24 hours. And the um, scientists calculated that it was approximately 20 million tons of rain and ice that fell in that storm. And he describes 20 million tons of rain and ice falling could be translated into the equivalent of 10 million Honda Civics falling over a 24-hour period. That would be pretty scary, uh, even if you like Hondas. He describes, I'm actually reading from his book right now, imagine you get into a helicopter. You get a giant chain with a crane attached to the end of it. You grab a Honda Civic and go up about three miles into the sky, and then you let it go. It's bound to cause mass destruction. Now do that 10 million times. You could wipe out a city. But that's not what happens over here. When God sends us the rain, sending that same volume, that same weight, and a huge volume that collects, but God has arranged that it's spread out in a way that will not typically do damage. And fascinatingly, the raindrop falling from that height in the sky is typically not even destroying the petals of the plants that it's hitting below. And, as he asks in his book, where were those 20 million tons of water before they hit the ground? Floating in midair. Amazing that God's created this system that he can have that incredible amount of water floating in midair. As he then puts it, who controls this powerful force of nature? It has the awesome power to destroy it benefits all living creatures. The laws of nature and the laws of physics and everything else that has the power to destroy or the power to build were put here by God, the creator of the universe. Where are the great kindnesses in all this? Number one, 99% of the time, this awesome power of rain is used to build, not destroy, by providing mankind and animals with fresh water. Number two, it provides the proper rains in the proper season to allow plants and food to grow. Those of you listening to Israel, you know, as I do, that it's actually not helpful 
if there's any significant rain in the summer. It's only a shock to the system if it does, but even a shock to the agricultural system. There are cycles over there, and it typically does not rain in the summer, and that's generally healthy as long as you had, hopefully, a good season in the fall and the winter. And generally it doesn't. It, it's, a, it's very rare that it rains anything significant in the summer. I was once with two Israeli cousins in um, Washington, D.C. It's classic hot Washington, D.C. humidity. And all of a sudden it starts pouring in the middle of the afternoon in August. These two teenage girls started rolling on the green over there, uh, that little huge lawn, in laughter. Chan v'geshem. It's hot. And it's raining. That's an impossibility. It was so hilarious to them. In our world, it rains all the time, but again, generally in ways that fit the agricultural needs of that region. And number three, he describes, how else would the dry cleaners stay in business if it weren't for all those rumpled trousers after a good rain, which I can attest to today after my experience earlier this morning. But the reality is that it's ultimately there for a blessing. I'd like to add another layer of understanding about rain uh, perspective about rain that maybe can help us appreciate it a little bit more, and again, be appreciative of God a little bit more, and that is rain as a metaphor. The Hebrew word for rain, one of the most common words used for rain, is geshem. Uh, that word geshem, mashiv haruach, and hageshem, geshem is also the root term for all things physical. Gashmiut is physicality as opposed to ruchniut of spirituality. Geshem and physicality, on a simple level, Geshem is that which provides for the needs of the physical. Everything needs water. The physical world is affected by the rain that allows for the growth, which allows for the animals to be sustained by the growth of the plants, allows us to be sustained by the use of the plants and the animals, and the Geshem is that which provides for the Geshemut, for the sustenance of the material. But it's also potentially a metaphor. Because just as God rains down, literally, rains down his Geshem to allow for our Gashmi to survive, in general, our relationship with God is such that he's constantly raining down his blessing upon us. And, again, using the perspective of heavens above and earth below, where we are to relate to the fact that just like the rain that comes down and feeds the world, it is God's raining down from above us all the other elements. Hopefully, things like health and protection from terrible disease and economic good and economic recovery. But it's ultimately, God is the one who has the capacity to rain it down. It's up there. God wants to provide it to us. It's up there. Often, we have to do various acts, various um, regiment that will trigger that because God has designed the world we read in the Shema, the second paragraph, when we do our part, God opens those doors and lets those rains come down. The physical rains described of the, you know, the actual water and other elements of his blessing that he's ready to provide for us. So Geshem, the rain in that terminology, can have another message. Oh, this is indicative of the fact that God is wanting to bestow. He is bestowing this good and he wants to bestow more good. But there's another word for rain that's not as typically used. It's a word, though, that does appear also in the Shema that we just referenced. And that is the word Yore. Yore, Yud Vav Reshe, Yore Omakosh. Uh, the Yore, the Yore that comes down into the earth, 
uh, the, the rain that comes down is referred to by that term of yora, may refer to specific seasons of rain, but uh, I believe it's Rev Hirsch in his commentary that describes the term yora, as you hear that word, yora may sound similar to the word mora. Mora or mora, terms that you may have used in Hebrew school or in wherever they're setting for your teachers. Um, mora is a teacher. Yora. How about another word that kind of sounds similar, like Torah? Again, some changes over here, but the key element, the same. Yora, mora, mora, Torah. And by the way, the word for your parents, horim. All these ora, orim terms share in common that there is an element of something from above that is focused on that which is below, that is bestowing to that which is below, that is providing to that which is below, that is nurturing that which is below, and eventually letting that which is below continue to function without the continuous input from that particular element above. So, for example, the message of the rain is that it's not raining every moment that the tree continues to grow. It's not raining as your tomato garden starts to flourish in the back or the flowers you may have tried to plant. Uh, the rain provides to them and then they continue on their own. And it teaches us a fascinating lesson in parenting as the horim, in teaching as a mora or a mora, and in what Torah itself does for us. All these other ori orem terminologies are about providing to the other, but ultimately wanting them to be able to go on without my current immediate input. So that a good parent eventually lets go. A good teacher trains the student to be able to function independently and not need to come back to that teacher forever. And God gives us the Torah through which we are constantly growing. Each infusion of Torah, we become an elevated person. And then we are candidates for next infusion of Torah, and onward and onward and onward. So as we recognize that there are so many messages in the rain, aside from all the incredible, what, what it does for us in reality, and how God provides it in a way that is generally not damaging and often not even disturbing, so that even when there are those frustrating setbacks and the damage done, but if we can recognize that it's a symbol of the fact that God is ready to bestow good upon us, and it's a symbol of what it means to be providing, and it teaches us lessons in being parents and teachers and, and appreciating Torah, so that even though there's no technical obligation to be a pluviophile, lover of rain, yes, there's such a real word, uh, no, no such obligation, but there is an obligation to be a lover of God, and there is a great benefit of having the attitude of seeing the good, even it's something that, at first glance, is something that is somewhat disturbing or frustrating to us. Doing so will help keep us sane in the rain, and will um, be ultimately of benefit, both in our terms of relationship with God, and the degree to which we don't let ourselves get stressed out, will help us learn not to teach our kids to pray for the rain to go away, but look at each raindrop as a blessing. Enhance our relationship with God, enhance our lives, enhance our capacity to be the type of people that are going to achieve our talkless.